0: It's just so good to be able to share God's word. It's always a privilege. I don't take it lightly. And uh, I'm just excited to see what God has for us here. And I'm going to be in the book of Zechariah today. And my title is this. Um, My title is People of the Promise. And and I'm in Zechariah chapter 7 through 8. And and my title is People of the Promise. And this is the question I want to answer. Um, in this sermon is, is how are we to live today as we wait to experience all of God's promises how are we to live today as we wait to experience all of God's promises because we know that God has promises but we haven't experienced them all yet and it can be discouraging at times to live without seeing them and so how do we live how do we live And I was thinking uh, as I was preparing this of, have you ever seen a kid who's maybe lost in a store? Or have you ever maybe been the parent of that kid or been that kid? Um, That's, it's, I mean, when a kid realizes, like, whoa, they take a look and they don't see them. I mean, it hits them like a ton of bricks, right? Just, (gasps) where are they? And the kid will panic at times, right? Like, And searching, maybe running around the store. Or maybe they think it's time to just do whatever maybe they want until they realize what they want is their mom and dad, or their, uh, their grandpa, grandma, right? And, and then they'll eventually find the kiosk, right? They'll find, and they'll, and they'll be like, man, we have, uh, you know, little Cindy here, please come. And, and then the kid will still be worried until they see right, their mom, they see that person. And people are lost, right? In this passage of scripture, I believe that the people that Zechariah is talking to—they um, feel lost, right? They feel afraid. They don't feel like they're on steady ground. They're waiting. They're waiting for God to show them the promises, and it feels as if, God, are you coming? Like they're waiting at the desk, and 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 He's not coming. That's even worse. And, and they're afraid. And this there's this built-up tension of, Lord, how do we live until You come? How do we know that You're coming? Right, and this is, I believe, what we see in this passage is that we as Christians, as we wait, we're to, we're to be faithful to God by the power of his spirit. Because just as Jesus came and forgave sin, he's going to come again and end death, suffering, and sin. Right, and and that's, that's what I want to bring out today. And um, I'm going to be in chapter uh, 7 and 8 of Zechariah. But I'm really going to read out of chapter 8. But I'll summarize chapter 7. Um, But the people of this day, just an introduction to Zechariah, they're not living in a a pristine kingdom. They're not living in a a perfect Jerusalem. Like you see that picture? That is the opposite of what they see because that's what they hoped for. But what they had is just imagine all of those buildings crumbled to the ground and all those those walls buried under dirt right? So the people of Israel, they're, they're waiting for this kingdom to arrive, something that would look like that. But instead, what they see is, is brokenness and destruction. And they're scared, and they're worried, and they're, they're crying out to God. But what led to this point? What led to the destruction of Jerusalem? What led to this, this punishment that they had faced and we we see in the bible that god had always had this intention that people would live in harmony with him and also with creation that it was always god's intention that that they would live in perfect peace under his presence by abiding by his rules and abiding by his commands and he even makes this covenant with moses in exodus he says if you will do what i command if you, if you'll listen to my statutes if if you if you'll follow out these rules that I'm giving you, these instructions on how to live, right? Then you'll experience the blessings. He says, You'll be my priestly nation if you do this, right? Priestly nation meaning they'll be like, they'll be a nation set up in perfect peace, but they'll also be priestly in the sense that they will have access to God's presence and be an image to the world of God's presence. And that was the promise. And so the, the time goes on, and we see with King David, here's a man who's willing to, to repent from his sin, willing to, when he does the wrong thing, go back to God's word and say, I meditate day and night, and I know that I've done wrong. Lord, would you forgive me? And he's, he's a symbol, he's an he's a, a image of how to return back to God. But we see the kings after him, that, that they don't turn back to God, that they continue running away from God, they continue to do what's right in their own eyes. They lead the people in corruption and wickedness and evil. And God was, he wrote in his law before it was even happened that if you continue to choose your own path, to love what is evil and hate what is good, then I will destroy your city. I will take you out, send you as prisoners to another land. But one day, I will bring you back and you will experience God's blessings. And so sure enough, as the people did what was right in their own eyes, God exiled them to Babylon, destroyed, their city gone, burned. And the people are in exile. Lord, do you still care about us? Are you still going to use us? Are you still going to bring us back? And in that time, the prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, who before this even happened, talked about it, say that one day God will bring them back, that one day they will have his presence, that their sins will be forgiven, and that the reason for all of this happening will be solved because he will write his law on their hearts so that they would be able to do it. He'll give them his spirit so that they'll be able to do it. And so the people in exile are waiting for this day, and sure enough, God brings them out of exile, brings them to the back to the land of Jerusalem, and they're, they're, they're ecstatic. Here we are coming back to God's land. Here we are coming back to the promised land, to our Jerusalem where our temple is, where we would meet with God and make, make atonement so we, our sins would be forgiven. And they come back, and it's like that, but just imagine it's totally flattened. I mean, I was thinking in our own eyes, how would we see it? Um, the events in 9/11—they'll never be forgotten. It's a horror, and, and and it still shakes us to this day. But just imagine that it wasn't a few buildings. Imagine the entire city of New York was leveled, and it wasn't the 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 World Trade Center at the center, but it was it was the it was the place where we met with God, and our our sins were forgiven, and it was the most important place. It was the The essence of why we were alive, destroyed. That's what they experienced. All of their hope was tied to this city, tied to that temple, and it was destroyed. And they're sitting there coming back from exile saying, God, where are you? God, how are you going to use us? Lord, where are your promises? I thought that we were people of the promise. I thought that you were going to restore this. These are the people Zechariah is talking to and he gives them these images as he writes. He, his, his writing style is absolutely incredible. And, and what he does is he shows them images of what God will do, and he brings them back to reality and shows them how it is. And, and he's trying to lead them in how to live this life in the moment, in light of the end. And in chapter seven, the people ask this question. After seeing these images that um, Zechariah has given them of this future restoration, the people ask Zechariah, should we continue to mourn and fast because of the destruction of Jerusalem? So we see in chapter seven. Should we continue to cry over this broken city? And Zechariah, he says, did you ever fast and mourn for me, or was it always just for yourself? And then he reminds them of what sent them to exile in the first place. He says, the reason you were sent to exile is because you didn't render true judgments. There was corruption in your society. There was brokenness in, in, in your lives. You, you committed yourselves to sin. You abandoned God's law. And so I sent you out. And then in chapter 8, on the flip side of exile, he gives them the image of what will happen when they return to God. Not just physically returning to Jerusalem, but returning to him in their hearts, obeying his laws. And this is what it says. And the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Zion is uh, Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, in the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age. And The streets of, Jeru- of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Right, here's this image of, of total peace that people are able to live into long age because they haven't been killed in wars and, and children are without worry of where to eat and, and where to live because, because God has been with them and restored this city and, and they're able just to do what kids need to do and just play. This is God's image of this beautiful city, of this, of this end time, of, of what he's trying to bring the people to and it's the total opposite of what they're experiencing. And then he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. He's saying, you think that this is impossible? He's saying, is it impossible for me? He's questioning them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness right? In verse three, we see this. Who's dwelling in Jerusalem in verse three? God is coming to dwell back in verse three. And in verse verse eight, he's saying, I'm bringing the people back to dwell in Jerusalem. He's saying, I will dwell with them, right? And he says, they will be my people and I will be to them a God. He's saying, and I will restore my covenant. They are my covenant people. They are people of the promise. I have not forgotten. I have not forgotten them. I will continue on That's what he's saying. I will bring them to this point of blessing. But verse 9 brings us back to their day. That was the vision of what could happen. That was the vision of God's blessing. But verse 9 brings them back to their reality in front of them. And he says, but let your hands be strong. And he gets into, they have to complete the temple. He's saying, stop crying and mourning over the past when when you should really be putting your hands to the, to, to the present. He's saying, instead of crying and mourning over this broken temple, you need to rebuild the temple. And we learned in chapter 4 that it was only by God's spirit that they would be able to build it. And then, and then he gets into this. After the temple, he says... Because he, he purposed them for disaster when they turned away. He's going to purpose them for blessing, not even just for themselves, but for the nations as well. God's view, his, his goal has never just been for one people group. It's been for all people groups. right? And then he gets into verse 16. Here, here's, here's the exact opposite of what they did. In the past. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, in love, no false oath. For these are the things I hate, declares the Lord. This is the exact opposite of what he says caused the exile. He's telling them this will cause the restoration. This will cause the the return of God to the place so that they could restore the city this will cause the blessing. And then after that, he says, remember those fasts? Remember those times of mourning for the temple that you did in exile? And then even now, he says, those days won't be for mourning and fasting. There'll be days for celebrating and feasting because you'll experience the blessing that God had. You'll experience the promise and fulfillment. And then after verse 20, again, he talks about, the Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish. He says, and they'll, they'll tug on the robes of the Jews and say, can we come with you to this city because God is there, right? This is the image that Zechariah is presenting to the people that though their city is trampled and though their temple where they met with God and there was atonement of sin was trampled, destroyed, There is a day when there will be a temple set up and there will be streets where children are playing and and old men and women are are there because they they haven't been killed in wars and, and it'll be a place where God dwells with them and it'll be a place where God will say, these are my people and I am their God. I have kept my covenant. I have kept my promise. I have not forgotten. And they're wondering how can we return to God if they could have just done this in the first place this would have never happened how will they render true judgments how will they obey the law how will they make this happen it's impossible this image that God is presenting before them through the words of Zechariah is impossible for them to complete And so Zechariah, scattered throughout this book, gives images and allusions to this person who will come, this king from the line of David who will also be a priest. And the imagery is just out of this world, and we could get into it one day, but to give you the snapshot, this this king priest from the line of David is going to reign, it shows one image of him, he's going to reign on the throne inside the temple. Kings did not reign inside the temple, but there's gonna be an alignment between between royalty and between priesthood. And this king priest, he's not just gonna go to war and defeat enemy nations from God's people, but he's actually going to be killed in order for the forgiveness of these people. And God is gonna pour out his spirit on these people so that they can recognize the one who's died for sin and return to him this shepherd who's gonna be struck and he's gonna be the reason why they can return to God. He's gonna be the one who lives this out. He's gonna be the one who renders the true judgments and he's gonna be the one that, that makes for peace and doesn't devise evil in his heart. He's gonna be the one who doesn't love false oaths, oaths and, and he's the one who's gonna live out God's law perfectly as a king and as a priest and he's gonna die. And he's going to give the the promised blessing, not to himself, but to them. This is the image that Zechariah places before these people. How are they to live? How are they to live waiting for this promise? They were supposed to rebuild this temple, and they were supposed to obey God's laws. And they knew that they couldn't do this. On their own it could only be by the strength of God with them and I'm thinking today how do we live as people of this promise well the thing is we know who this Davidic king priest is we live luckily after him right it's Jesus right Jesus comes as this king and his priest, and he lives this perfect life and he dies for sin so that we could have the blessing of forgiveness but it says he'll come again it says he'll come again, and he's not just coming as a priest. He's coming as a king, and he's going to de- defeat evil, sin, and death once and for all, and he's going to bring his people to this kingdom that Zechariah is envisioning, and you even see in Revelation. right? It says in, in Hebrews chapter 9, it says this. It's, it says, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him, right? So Jesus is coming twice. He came as the, as the priest, and then he's going to come as the king. And then in Colossians, I love, I think it puts it perfectly. What do we do while we are waiting? Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying we don't continue to just live as if there's no hope. Just because Jesus came, died, and died, And forgave sin does not mean that this is now what it will always look like. This world that we live in, we cannot be the same within it. That's why he says you have died. You have died with Christ and you've been raised with him. Meaning that no longer is this world your hope. But your hope is in Christ and, and that hope is in another world, another home. And so what do we do? We live like Jesus. That's what he's telling us. We live like Jesus. We we, we imitate this priest king. We imitate this perfect one. Not because we're perfect, but because we trust him. And he's done it in our place. We become faithful. As if the same as these Zechariah's people were to become faithful. They were to do their best to build this temple. And you know what's crazy is this temple never became as amazing as the first temple. And this city was never as amazing as the first city. And it actually never even says that God's presence came down like it did in the first temple and even in the tabernacle. Because Jesus came as the temple. And he came as the one who would bring God's presence in the spirit so that we could then repent and believe. And so what we're doing right now is living this life of continual repentance, of continual return, that we try our hardest by his spirit, and when we mess up, we turn back to our priests and we say, Lord, forgive me and help me again. And it's this continual cycle of, Lord, help me, help me, help me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. He did it once and for all, but we continually live this life in repentance, in returning to him. And so Jesus, he's not just going to stay a priest. He's going to also be a king. And until his second return, we become like Jesus by the power of his spirit. And this hope that we see, this hope that Jesus is bringing, this fulfilled vision of Zechariah of the end, we find it in Revelation 21, 2 through 4. And Pastor Brian's actually read it a couple times in the last few sermons, and it's powerful. It says this. That same, that same verbiage there. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the hope that the king brings. And it's only because he first died as the priest. He died for sin, right, so that we could be forgiven. And then empowered by his spirit to become citizens of heaven. And so there's this vision. There's always this tension in our lives between what we see and what God promises. And we look around and what we see is not this. We see suffering. We see wars being broken out. We see that there's earthquakes killing people. We see tsunamis. We We see political corruption around the world. We see people in pain in our own lives. We see broken relationships. We see expectations that we feel we cannot meet. We see so many things, and we say, God, this is not the vision. This is is not the end. This is not the fulfillment. How do I continue on? How do I move forward? And I thought of it like this, all right? I thought of it like this it's like imagine that we were all in a middle school basketball game okay imagine that we're all in the same basketball game i mean basketball team and and we're playing this game and we're losing it's only the first quarter and we're losing two to a hundred all right i don't know if there's even that many seconds in the first quarter but we're losing two to a hundred it's not good right there's no hope I mean, there's no hope after that. How are you going to come back? If you couldn't do it in the first 10 minutes, score more than a couple points, then you're not, getting, you're not getting 98 more points. But just, I want you to imagine this. Then your coach comes over. Coach comes over. He goes, don't worry. Because I'm sending in Michael Jordan at halftime. <laughs> right? I'm sending in Michael Jordan. He is, he's going to play, and he's not even going to take any breaks. He's just going to be out there the whole time. And I say middle school basketball game because I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine kids that are about four foot five, all right? And then imagine, imagine Michael Jordan, who's over six foot some, I don't even know, but he's tall, right? The other team now has no hope. They have no, they have no chance. But the game isn't over in the first quarter, is it? There's still playing time on the clock. You're still dribbling the ball and, and you're still sometimes losing baskets and you're still dribbling up, the, dribbling up the, the court. But even though it's only the first quarter, you're thinking in your head, the game's already won. Because I know that when at halftime, when he comes in, it's over. We're winning, right? But that doesn't mean you stop playing. And these people in Zechariah's day, they were living before the Michael Jordan came. They were living before this person came, this priest came to make it happen. But they knew that the end was certain. They knew that this vision was secure because he would come. And here we live after the time of Jesus. And he's begun to get in the game and he's already won the victory. And we're still playing alongside him with his strength and with his spirit. Lord. And we're able to continue on even when it seems sometimes impossible. Even when it seems sometimes like I'm just too tired to keep going. Because the victory is certain, the promise is secure. We can live as people of the promise today because the promise that day will be secure. It's certain. That's what I see in this passage. And so I'm thinking, we've been tasked with becoming like Jesus. We've been tasked with, with living out this amazing thing he's given to us. Meaning sacrificially loving others in accordance with his word and, and also spreading this gospel. Spreading this news of, of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Of his forgiveness of sins. And we do this until he comes again. And we know it's not in vain because the end has been written and he's already come. And so for those, you're discouraged in your faith. You're like, Lord, I can't be a Christian. I I can't keep up with all this. There's too much to do. There is too much to understand. There's too much. I can't do it. I can't live the way he's asking me to live. I I don't have the strength to do it. Amen. You don't. And that's why he came. Right? Amen. right to give you that strength. Yes, and so I say be encouraged. Know that this is not the end. The goal of your Christian faith isn't to continue to live in this world. The goal of your Christian faith is to live in the next with him. And he will give you the strength today to keep walking forward. Yes. To keep being changed by his word. To keep changing the way you view other people and actually have compassion on them. To see people and know that they need to hear about Jesus. I was thinking just being like Jesus on your job. Being like Jesus on your job. I'm lucky I get to work here. But I used to work at a place where we used to hit me hard with some stuff. And they had some, we had some really good conversations. But I can remember the first time, it's kind of funny when people maybe first start, you know, and we don't deal with persecution like people around this world. But You know, the first couple of times people make fun of you before being a Christian, maybe on your job or something, it's funny, Like, ah, that's funny. But then, you know, after a while it gets annoying, right? And you might start losing your patience. And sometimes maybe small jokes and things can be harder because it's easy to just react and not care. And what God's asking us to do is he's saying, be patient, go the extra mile, show them me through you. He's saying, do everything without complaining or disputing. Work out the salvation that God's worked in you, like Pastor Willie preached on, on Wednesday. Tell them about church and Jesus. Why? Because there's a hope worth living for. There, this is not our goal. If, if, Thank you, Jesus. If, if Jesus wasn't coming again, then I would say, do whatever you want. But Jesus is coming back. Amen. Right? He is coming back. Thank you, Jesus. He's coming back, and so I can, live, I can live in light of that end at home. I want to be like Jesus. I want to raise my daughter to know him, and I want to hope that, that I'll be a good example of him to her, and so I need, I need to watch what I say. Watch what I watch. I, I need to, to make sure that, that she knows about the story of this amazing king priest, that, that, that she sees the, the examples of mercy and truth and endurance in this race. That she sees me relying, and me and Rachel relying on God's spirit. Our children, our nieces, nephews, our, our, the grandchildren, they need to see that there's a hope and that you can live in light of that hope. They need that. Show them how to rely on the Lord. And this one for, for those seeking happiness and purpose in their achievements. Remember that, that Jesus has done what you could never do. And he has taken your sin and he has empowered you to live like him and, and by his spirit. And he promises you a reward in heaven, which you did not res- that you did not deserve. And that all of the lists of things and accomplishments and everything that that maybe you've done and you can put on a resume. Jesus is not going to take that and say you can come in because of your resume. He's not going to say you're a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God because of what you've done. He'll say, thank goodness that you, you listened and you were empowered by your, my spirit, but you do not get in here because of your achievements. Right. The greatest rewards in this life will be for things that you, you could not do. It will be only because of the work in, in, the, in the life of Christ, his death. And so we need to live humbly. Not, not trying to lift ourselves up by putting others down. Because the truth is we could never lift ourselves up to a point even close to the life and death of Jesus. So I need to live humbly, recognizing that I'm not more important than anybody. That everybody, everybody has worth. Everybody has dignity. Everybody deserves to understand the love of Christ. My time is not more important than anybody's. I need to be a servant of the king. And understand that I stand under him. It's by his achievement and his goodness that I'm saved. And when you lose hope, I was thinking of this, when you lose hope in this world, and you look around and you see the corruption of nations, the corruptions of leaders, the corruption of, of maybe even of industries, remember that this world is corrupt. This world has been bent on personal gain. That no matter the casualties, they'll do whatever it takes. And it's only in Jesus, our true leader, that he himself made himself a casualty for our good. That he leads through his death and his life. He's the God of justice. He's the God of mercy. And he's going re- to lead the repentant to this kingdom of peace, to this kingdom of of true judgment, to this kingdom of perfect correction, to this place where there is no misfortune, there is no there is no pain, there is no uh, manipulation that he leads as a perfect God. And so we can look at the corruption of this world and have strength. And I was thinking for those who are sick, Trust in Jesus, for if you are healed, praise God that we have an image of the kingdom. But if you're not, remember this is not our home, and that we're all on our way there when we trust him. That Jesus, he's conquered death and evil, and he's going to bring us to that heavenly kingdom of the new creation. And one day, we're going to dwell together with the Lord in the city where there is no pain, there is no death, there is no suffering. And we're going to be his people, and he'll be our God, right? Praise Jesus, man. And for us for us all, as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with temptation, and our minds wage war, let's remember that he's the God who has already done it, that he's given his spirit so that we could repent and turn to him and we could live this life in his strength, knowing that he's already done it, so trust in him. And I'm gonna conclude, and if the worship team wants to come up, I was just thinking we have St. Patrick's Day coming up, and the story of St. Patrick's really incredible, and I can't give you the whole depth of the story, but St. Patrick, he was he was born in England um, as, a, as a wealthy child. He was born to wealthy parents, and, and as a young child, he was, uh, he was stolen and, and sold into the slave trade in Ireland. And in Ireland, he worked as a shepherd and he, he, was, he was taken away from his family. Probably had no hope of ever getting home, but he was given this one opportunity to run away. And he took it and he ran away back to England. And he makes it home after being a slave for years. And then God calls him and he says, I want you to go back to Ireland not as a slave, not as a, uh, a conqueror, but as a follower of Jesus. And I was thinking about this incredible story that St. Patrick, he saw himself as a person of the promise. And he saw those people who, who really enslaved him as people who need to also become people of the promise. He knew that his presence struggles they didn't compare with the beauty in, in, the, in the hope of living with God one day. And so we're not St. Patrick, but the commission is the same. But the hope is the same. That we're to be faithful to God until his coming. That we're to live in, as, as images of Christ because we have a hope beyond this world. I was thinking, we're just like children in a store. And we were lost and afraid. And we were searching, but we found the kiosk and and they called our father and he's on his way. And we're waiting happily. Even though it seems maybe scary to many others, we're waiting for him. and, And you know what? He taught us not just to wait. He taught us to go in that store and look for other lost children other people who who are searching and looking for him. Maybe they don't even know who he is yet, but he's saying, go out, walk through that, find him, bring him to me to wait for me because I'm coming. That's what Zechariah's people were waiting for. They were waiting for Jesus and then the the reality of what Jesus would bring, and, and that's what we're waiting for that now that Jesus has come, how do we live until his second, his second coming? We're to be faithful because of his spirit, faithful to his word and to love others and faithful to tell others about this amazing thing. Because his word is not just for the Jews, it's for everybody, it's for them all. Let's pray. Father God, we just love you, Lord. We praise you, you're amazing. You're amazing. This is the most incredible story that has ever been written, and it could only be credited to God. Lord, would you empower us with your Spirit, God, to live as people in this exiled world, as citizens of heaven, to be faithful to you, be faithful to your word, and to tell others about this amazing hope reality of, of your forgiveness in a world with no pain and death and sin then would you help us God would you help us Lord and Lord for those who who might be just saying I want to become a citizen I want to I want to become a person of the promise it is only by faith in Jesus and so you put your faith in Jesus and he will forever be your your priest and your king your savior Maybe you just want to say this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Invade my life. Forgive me of my sins. And help me to live, Lord, faithful until your promise.